This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. We do have that traffic note to pass along to you besides the construction around the Kirkwood Industrial Park that's backing things up on 8117, 81 southbound in the area of the Industrial Park. We also have that problem with a concrete truck that lost some of its load. It's liquid concrete that spilled all over Route 1786 eastbound, starting at exit 60, 82 and 83 in Windsor, and that continued down into Pennsylvania. Now, New York State officials are saying that it wasn't a large amount of concrete that spilled, but it's enough that you don't really want to get it on your car. Once again, that's a concrete truck lost part of its load on 1781 eastbound, starting at exits 82 and 83 in Windsor, continuing down into Pennsylvania. New New York State Police and the Department of Transportation are on the scene in New York. I'm not sure if PennDOT is on the scene on 79 in Pennsylvania. The forecast for today... Hit and miss showers and thunderstorms, mainly in the heating of the day in the afternoon, mostly cloudy and a high into the mid-80s. The Broome County man accused of attempted murder of a police officer could be spending the rest of his life in prison following guilty verdicts handed down by a Broome County grand jury, or rather by a Broome County jury. The district attorney, Michael Korchak, yesterday announced the jury had found 35-year-old Jason Johnson of Nineveh guilty of nine charges related to the shooting and wounding of New York State police officer Becky Seeger in June of last year. Korchak says Johnson attempted to kill law enforcement officers who responded on June 9th, 2021 to East Windsor Road to investigate reports of a suspicious man. Korchak says Johnson opened fire on New York State Police with a high-powered hunting rifle. Trooper Seeger was hit in the hip and spent a night at Wilson Hospital but testified she still is suffering the consequences of the shooting. Johnson faces a maximum of life in prison when he's sentenced in November. The district attorney has called a news conference for this morning to discuss the verdict. Meanwhile, Johnson's father, David, was also being tried in the dual trial, accused of tampering with evidence. The jury in that trial began deliberating last Thursday and returned the guilty verdicts for the younger Johnson late yesterday afternoon. A motorcyclist who collided with a passenger vehicle in Afton on Sunday has died. Authorities have confirmed to News Channel 34 that 53-year-old Julie Lawton of Binghamton was killed when her motorcycle hit a Jeep Grand Cherokee on Route 7. The driver of the Jeep was not injured. New York State Police say Lawton was traveling west on Route 7 near Blakesley and Nurse Hollow Road when her bike crossed the double yellow line colliding with the Jeep. Shenango County Emergency Services had reported they believed the crash had happened earlier in the afternoon. But the account reported by WIVT indicates the time of the crash was about quarter of six Sunday evening. Lawton was airlifted by medical helicopter to Wilson Memorial Regional Medical Center in Johnson City where she died. Authorities have not commented on what they believed caused Lawton to cross onto the oncoming lane hitting the driver's side of the Grand Cherokee. The name of the driver of the Jeep has not been released. 
WMBF First News Time 907. New York is announcing another increase in food assistance allocations to low-income households. The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, is getting a $234 million infusion of federal funding. Recipients already near or at the maximum benefit level of $835 for a household of four will receive an additional payment of $95 for the month of August. Currently, there are over 1.6 million households, including more than 2.8 million individuals, enrolled in the SNAP benefits program. A Buffalo-based financial institution is giving a new meaning to the word or term food bank. It's donating tens of thousands of dollars to help fight food insecurity in the southern tier. M&T Bank is allocating $58,000 in grants to be shared by the Greater Good Grocery Store in Binghamton and a dozen other organizations. In a news release from the company, M&T announced they are building on a commitment to combat hunger and uplift local communities through its charitable investment program. Grants are being directed to local food pantries and food access programs in Broome, Chemung, Shenango, Cortland, Tioga, and Tompkins counties. A recent report from Feeding America shows about 12.4% of the southern tier and central New York population is facing hunger issues. The numbers have been driven higher during the COVID pandemic. COVID-19 pandemic. M&T points to the recently opened Greater Good Grocery on Binghamton's north side, which has been a food desert for years with no major market providing fresh, healthy food options as an example of a group making a difference through its free produce days. On the last Wednesday of each month, bags of fresh produce are given away to local families and individuals through the groceries operated by the Broome County Council of Churches. WMBF Newstime 909. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast, mostly cloudy today, a 30% chance of those pop-up showers and thunderstorms during the heating of the day in the afternoon, a high in the mid-80s, mostly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid to upper 50s. Tomorrow, partly sunny, a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms, mainly in the afternoon, a high in the mid to upper 70s. Thursday, mostly sunny, a slight chance of afternoon showers and thunderstorms, high in the low 80s. Friday, sunny, a high in the mid-80s. And Saturday, mostly sunny, a high in the mid to upper 80s. Currently 64 in Binghamton. It's 11 past 9, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WMBF. I'm Bob Joseph. Thursday morning will be in a couple of days, I guess... This is Tuesday morning. Get confused when we voice track these programs. Of course, it's not voice tracked. It's live. Live voice track when you can do it live. 607-772-1290. Hey, call in now to prove just how live this program is. See, this will be a demonstration in real time. That we are truly live on this August 16th, 2022. Indeed, 607-772-1290 is the hotline. Also send an email, bob at wnbf.com. If you want to offer something in writing. And, of course, spelling and punctuation will count. All right, let's 
take a look at the top headlines. First, I like checking my favorite website, WNBF.com. Hopefully you've already checked it a couple of times this morning to see what's going on in the Binghamton area. Broome County man guilty in shooting of state trooper. The verdict from the Broome County court jury in the case of Jason Johnson guilty on nine charges. He had been on trial for the shooting of state trooper Becky Seeger on East Windsor Road in the town of Colesville in June of 2021. He is Guilty of those charges, sentencing is set for November 28th after Thanksgiving, and according to the DA's office, he faces up to life in prison. Some more details for you on that story from WNBF.com. Also, on America's Best website, Um, oh, drug raid. Claim that uh, they found fentanyl in Binghamton. All right. The Dos Rios sign has been removed amid speculation about that site in downtown Binghamton. Dos Rios Cantina. Remember the excitement that was building when we covered that, that story from the very beginning. I have to admit, I was fascinated by the process. We did some preview stories because they put a lot of work into the place. Inside, special art, special lighting, special designs. Went on a tour of the kitchen. Well, final chapter of the Dos Rios Cantina saga was Monday when a sign crew from Syracuse showed up and unceremoniously unbolted the sign and put it in a truck and drove it away. So take a look at all the pictures, all the videos. Um, yeah, we were there. We were there at the beginning and, unfortunately, at the end of the Dos Rios saga. And, of course, we'll see what happens next at that site. Could be Bob's Diner. If I'm going to open Bobo Mart and Endwell... May as well also open Bob's Diner in downtown Binghamton. Maybe we could do the show from there. Bob's Diner. You know what I'm talking about. All right, let's take some calls. We begin with Ron in Binghamton. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Hey, Bob, how about can I start off with giving you a trivia question? You certainly may. Okay. Here's the question. Uh, I'm going to name some pl- some states. Um, Wait, hold on. Re- re- repeat that. You said you're going to name some states, and then the connection yeah. dropped. Oh, oh okay. And uh, I'm naming these states, and I want you to tell me what you think they have in common. Okay. Okay, I'm 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 prepared. Okay. Uh the states are Alaska, Delaware, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, 
Vermont, and Wyoming. They're all my favorite states. They're all states, let's see, I haven't been to Wyoming, I haven't been to Alaska. What were the other states? I I know you mentioned Delaware, I've been there. Delaware, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Vermont. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I haven't been to North Dakota or South Dakota. Um, For some reason, they seem to have an outsized effect on our politics. Well, um, they may, but here's here's the um, connection. All of those, those seven states have only one congressperson. All of them, of course, have two senators, but they only have one U.S. representative. Well, that's a good point because of their because they're uh, so sparsely populated. Yeah, and here here's the here's the thing uh, tonight or today, I should say, uh, the election in Wyoming for their one seat in Congress is likely to be lost by the incumbent Liz Cheney, and. Uh, of course, the state, which is a very Republican state, uh, is uh, looks like it's turning against her because she is on the panel for the January 6th hearings. So it looks like uh, she's going to lose tonight by all the polls. The polls are really lopsided in favor of her opponent, who has been endorsed by Trump. Uh, and interestingly, I, I'm thinking, well, Liz Cheney is paying the price for doing something courageous. I talked to a friend today. I don't agree with him, but his point of view was this is Liz Cheney's plan all along. Uh, she doesn't care if she loses the seat. Uh, this is going to propel her to higher things in office. I'll just throw that out there. What do you think? I think there's a high likelihood of that. I think she's going to be uh, um, perceived as a presidential or at least a vice presidential hopeful for 2024, when hopefully when the nation comes to its senses. Yeah, but uh, do you think that this has been part of her plan? That, that's the plan. Yes, that's yes. Cool. The short answer is absolutely. Liz Cheney is smart. I'm not so sure about her dad because he's a guy who goes shooting his hunting buddies. So I'm not sure about Dick Cheney being all that smart because smart people typically don't shoot their hunting buddies. But, you know, I guess he said it was an accident. I suppose he apologized. But anyway, no, uh, Liz Cheney, say what you will about her, and I know you will. She uh, she's very intelligent, and I'm sure that's her plan all along. And by the way, can I be honest with you, just for this moment, please? Only only for this moment. Just for this moment, and then I'll go back to my usual mode. But in all honesty, who wants to be stuck in the House of Representatives when you could, in oh. fact, be president of these United States and have access? To all the best high security information. And then you can take it with you when you're fired by the American people. And then you can put it in a room with a padlock next to the pool. See, 
See, she's playing the long game. Liz Cheney, trust me, Liz Cheney is in this for the long game. She's not, I mean, don't get me wrong, if she got reelected to Congress, would she serve another couple of years? Probably. But it wouldn't be that much fun. Fun, just ask Donald Trump. Fun is being a presidential candidate. That's fun. Ask George Pataki. Ask Jeb Bush. That's fun. Even Hillary Clinton, even though she didn't win the election, well, she probably did. But anyway, um, just doing that to stir somebody up. Um, no, it's it's fun to be a presidential candidate. Is, how much fun can it be to be one out of 435 members of the House of Representatives and not even get invited to Nancy Pelosi's place for drinks and overpriced ice cream? This is what's what's interesting about what you're saying, and I I can see your theory, uh, but it is what you would call so Machiavellian that she says, watch this, I'm going to do something that will cause me to lose an election so I can go to higher ground. Uh, I mean, that's that's right out of Machiavelli, but I guess that's the way I don't I don't going. look at it that way. I don't look at it as though she wanted to lose the election unfortunately because of where she lives in the great state of wyoming which is very conservative and very republican that's the consequence of going up against a liar in chief um obviously it would work out better if she was from um, a less conservative state like new york or california but unfortunately for her as part of this grand plan to take over the GOP, it'll require her to lose an election to ultimately win the nomination in 2024. So I, I, I think that's the only way she can do it. I mean, you know, is she, she lives where she lives, and I don't, I don't think that you know if she was able to somehow thread the needle and you know conduct a uh, the the. January 6th hearings the way she did and with such eloquence and such courage you know I, I don't think we've seen that kind of statespersonship ever in my lifetime I give her a lot of credit for uh, not not backing down even though she of course she knew that it was going to cost her the primary of course um, so you know but in the end the question will be uh, is it for the betterment of of the country in 2024 it might actually be an interesting contest with um liz cheney facing kamala harris i would i would like to see that debate (laughs) yeah that would be a good one well if i really wanted to stir things up i would have said wouldn't it be great in the fall of 2024 to see the presidential debates with Liz Cheney and AOC, but I don't want to get people that angry so early in the program. AOC and the crew. There, I did it. Hey, that's the first time I've heard you (laughs) sing on the radio. Hey, uh, do we have time for one more? Of course we do. For you, for you, Ron, of course. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Um, I'm I saw something yesterday. I watched a program on Netflix, and a good program. It was about uh, how the mafia in New York City 
uh, was taken down by the FBI and and uh, in uh, the late nineties, uh, in the eighties and nineties, and uh, the champion of that was Rudy Giuliani. And uh, talk about a very courageous uh, attorney, a U.S. attorney that went after the mafia under all sorts of death threats and 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 uh, you know just just a, a fantastic job. It's a wonderful documentary. It's called Fear City, and it's on Netflix. And it it came to mind today as I picked up the paper and and read about the trouble that Giuliani is in uh, in Georgia now for his uh, connection to Trump about the election and trying to get more votes in Georgia. And just as a a fall from grace, uh, Bob. I mean. Uh, he started out bringing down the mafia, became the mayor of New, New York City, turned that all around, became uh, America's mayor, so to speak. And now, uh, pretty much because of his association with Donald Trump, you know, he has uh, really nosedived. Uh, and it's it, it's just another kind of like the Joe Paterno thing. Of yeah, that's great. a good point. Well, and remember where it all began. It started right here in downtown Binghamton, a block from where, from where I'm standing. Yes. That's where, that's where Rudy Giuliani got his first job after law school. He worked for the Department of Justice, the same DOJ that he and uh, Trump's minions are criticizing today. So there is a lot of irony to the story. Well, Bob, you know, you're making me think here. You've got uh, Rudy Giuliani you interviewed. You had Donald Trump you interviewed. It's kind of like all malfeasance goes through Bob Joseph. Well, don't forget, I also, you know, for those who are keeping track, I also interviewed Hillary Clinton, so there's that. <laughs> so, yes, all malfeasance probably does run through this studio. You know, I'll tell you what, have you noticed? Nobody ever gets indicted on major charges unless they've been on this program. Wow. Wow. And, and all of them have probably said they've eaten a speedy. <laughs> oh, there you go again. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> yes. Mr. Trump, have you ever had a speedy? <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. 927, let's take another call on the hot limes. Dave from Vestal, you're on. Yeah, good morning there, Bob. Boy, <laughs> what you said about Hillary, that isn't what made me call, but I, I did catch that. Um, hey, you know, I got to tell you, you're wrong, Bob. Liz does care that when she gets her backside handed to her tonight. Um, she cares a lot because you know what she's been doing. I don't know if you're aware of it, but she's been trying to get the Democrat voters to change parties and vote for her. Now, that's desperation. Don't tell me she doesn't want to stay in Congress, Bob. Well, she wouldn't mind because the money's good and the work's not that hard. I Let me put it this way. The job I do is a lot more difficult than the job Liz Cheney has. Yeah, well, you know what? You have a point there. Yeah, you know, I'm not, and by the way, I'm not criticizing her. I'm just stating a fact. Every day, I guarantee, I work harder on average. I'm not saying that there are some days, like, say, today, 
I don't plan to work very hard because it's a Tuesday, but that's just me. So Liz Cheney probably will work harder today than I will, but I'm saying on average, I work harder and my job is more challenging. I think that's the main point. My job, both on live radio and also reporting local news that's relevant every day of the week, I think that's more challenging and requires a lot more effort than Liz Cheney's job most of the time. Yeah, because, uh, well, never mind, I won't say that. But you know, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for exercising a, a, a degree of discretion. <laughs> well, Bobby, all I know is it, it's probably going to be cocktail night because watching all these Republican Trump haters drop like lead weights, it, it makes me feel so good. It really does. All right. Well, make sure you have a designated walker. If you're celebrating, celebrate responsibly. 929 WNBF, the station that cares about you, the home viewer. And we will be taking more calls coming up. So if you have something on your mind, get in the queue. Get in line now, 607-772-1290. And we will take the calls as they come in on your favorite radio station. Now, it's the sweetest moment of the week. Karen Sweet O'Neill joins us. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Are we on the air? I'm afraid so. <laughs> well, it's always good to know. <laughs> hold, hold on while I take a swig of coffee. Hold on. All righty. Oh, no, I can't. There's a sign here. It says I can't. No coffee? It says I can't have any food or beverage. You gotta open your diner across the street, Bob. <laughs> Thank you. Bobster, you heard that. Dun, 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 I said I was dun, like, ooh, that'd be a good idea. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, we have yeah. the space. Unfortunately, sadly, the, they took the, the old side down the sign down. It was only there for four years. I enjoyed that place. I enjoyed covering the the story from the moment. I remember the moment I first reported a story. It said people familiar with the Plans of the new owner of the building say they're going to have a Mexican restaurant. That's how I reported it the first time. It was So I mm-hmm. used sources. And then eventually the guy who owns the building confirmed it. And then, you know, we did a few stories ahead of time before they opened, like with looking at the kitchen. You know, it's exciting when a restaurant sure. opens. You can go inside the kitchen because they, they have the kitchen staff and servers. Everybody has to practice what they do. And I can tell you, I did have a, a taste of one of the things they, they made in, in the kitchen while they were preparing to uh, open up. So, but that, well, yeah, it, and I was just amazed at how much work they put so much effort into the, the whole facility. The artwork, the signage, I mean, they had a special, they couldn't even, like the big sign that they put inside initially, they couldn't even get it inside because it was too too big for the front door. I can't remember how they finally got it in, but it was uh, it was quite a challenge. So anyway, yes, Bob's Diner. Well, hopefully something, you know, something will transpire over there. There's a Oh, I I'm sure something will. With, yeah. Yeah, something will. real estate. Yeah. So. Something will happen and when it does, we'll report it, okay? Very good. That's hey, have you deal. gone to the Grove next door? I have. 
What yeah, do you think? across the street. And, you know, that's weird, too, because just um, <laughs> about a, year, a little over a year ago, that was Key Bank. And then when, when Key Bank closed, I felt sad because I thought, well, what if what if nobody ever moves in there? Or what if, you know, before it was Key Bank, it used to be a discount store? Did you know that? I do know that. It used to be Jupiter. Thank you, Jupiter. I was, I was going to... I was going to trick you and say, I bet you don't know what it was, but do you know who, what company owned Jupiter? No. The parent company of Kmart. They were owned by, oh, hmm. what's the name? It was a, a big company. I think it also began with K, but the same company that ultimately opened up lots of Kmart stores owned Jupiter discount stores, and so the rest is history. I'll be darned. I remember you could go sit at the counter. Yes. And, yeah, you could have a ice cream or, you know, like a milkshake or what have you. Or a malt. Yeah. A malt. <laughs> a malt. Yeah. But you could do that also across the street when they had Woolworths over at... I remember um, Woolworths, yeah. too. And then yeah. that turned into uh, Family Dollar, and then the place was sold, and that's that's when the transition began. That's that's why when you look at the transition, what happened over less than a decade from a, a dollar store on that corner to a restaurant, a barber shop, a place that sells a branded merchandise, um, it was a nice transition. I mean, it really, in my opinion, it really improved the neighborhood. Agreed. Agreed. Anyway, uh, while you have a moment, would you tell us what what the topic will be when you call in tomorrow morning at about nine twenty? I will. We're going to talk about uh, life insurance, but specifically different types because we do so much of this up at the office, and at all different times in your life, you have different needs. And what you did when you maybe had a young family, maybe you did a 20-year term policy for a half a million dollars to make sure they were covered in the event that you were no longer here. You know, that's the promise from the insurance company to you, Bob, that they will not raise your rate for that insurance for the next 20 years. So what's happening is a lot of people are coming into their 21st year or their 22nd year, and they're saying, whoa, now my premiums are so expensive, they've escalated, you know, beyond a reasonable amount. So what can I do and how can I get coverage and do I need as much as I had then? So we're doing a lot of that. And you see these, you know, um, uh, advertisements on TV with select a quote and Johnny is, you know, 30 years old and has a half a million dollars in coverage and he spends, you know, $5 a month. Well, we do all that, so we shop it for you because we have all the same companies that they do. But it's really curious because you need to not just be an order taker. You need to be someone who can come up with solutions for people whose lifestyles and economic situation may have changed. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and what about people that want final expense coverage only, but they're not healthy enough to really get it. You know, can they can they get some kind of coverage? And yes, they can. And we'll go on over the parameters of that. All right. And so that's all happening tomorrow morning at approximately nine twenty on these same stations on the Bob Joseph Network. Very good. And it's always you know 
in between because we have to see what's going on. And, you know, I got to tell you, though, Bob, uh, in the news world, okay, local, uh, this station's where it's at. I mean, you don't get anything in the local newspaper anymore, locally. Right, and that's you know, not their what's fault. Happening. Right, no, that's not their fault because corporate, well, Gannett Corporate, made made changes, and and now, know. you know, unfortunately, the the staff limitations. I mean, they still do some original reporting. For example, the big story that Kevin Stevens did about uh, revisiting the um, members of the Maine Endwell Little League Championship team six years later as they graduate that was a a great story and i know kevin stevens put a great deal of work on um putting that together both online and also for the the sunday newspaper so i enjoyed that i did too and gary and i were talking about it you know what a super what a super day that was for those kids and for everybody involved i remember it was porch fest and they had tvs out on different, you know, porches and front lawns so that the people that went to Porch Fest over on the west side could actually see the final. That's where we saw it. Wow. It was crazy yeah. fun. No, I remember, yeah. I remember watching at home on the Sunday afternoon. I guess uh, that, I, I, I was just, I just had this feeling that, yeah, with this final game, they're, they're going to manage it. And they did. They did. I was, I was so shocked and yet so enthusiastic. And it was nice because, you know, when I started school, I was a Maine Endwell student. So I, I lived in that part of Endwell where so, some of the, uh, the team members had, had lived. Oh, and that's so you know exactly the feeling that those little league kids had, you know. I mean, just uh, just unbelievably happy time, you know. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed the story as well. I was glad to see that that he had put that out there. And, you know, they're still following up on that as well, you Absolutely. know, what the kids are doing now. Well, he he did what I, I had in mind over the last few years, doing a follow-up on on at least some of the team members. But to be honest with you, I, I had other things I, I needed to do. I didn't have enough time to do uh, do justice to the story. But fortunately, Kevin Stevens, he did have time, and he, he did a great story both for Sunday's newspaper and also on Press Connects. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that, for so sure. we salute. We salute all the journalists around here, even though, that you know, to be honest, and you can understand this, we don't have as many journalists now as we did 10, 20, 30 years ago, but I think those of us who are left are dedicated to reporting on our community the best we can. No, I totally agree, and I always hear that from clients and, you know, clients that aren't even clients yet, you know, that listen to the show and call in, and they just say, you know, this is the only place I get my local news. You know, they're right up on top of everything, and I said, well, I'll pass it along. Thank you. So, kudos. Thank you so much, Karen, and we will speak tomorrow morning right here on WNBF. Very good. Thanks, Bob. 939 News Radio, WNBF. We've been serving the community for nearly a century, and if it's up to me, we'll keep serving the community for another century. That is my personal wish. Bob Joseph. 1290 AM, 92.1 FM, and streaming live at WNBF.com. Almost three. Da, 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 da.
9.43, enjoying another cup of joe at Bob's Diner, live on News Radio WNBF. Let's go back to the phones at 607-772-1290. Larry in Kirkwood, good morning. Hey, Bob. Aaron got a twofer over there. That was pretty cool. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, Bob, I was going to come out here and be merciless toward you, but after you said you talked to Hillary, I really feel sorry for you. <laughs> hey, I talked with Hillary a lot of times. I lost track. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it At first, the first time that you speak with uh, a first lady of the United States, there is something special about it, but then... To be honest with you, it started to get a little, I don't know, we'll say the novelty wore off. Because when she was campaigning, that was one thing. Then she got elected to the Senate. And then I interviewed her a number of times, a few times in person, and then several times over the phone. And eventually it just got to be, you know, I'd re- can I say this on the air? You could say anything you want. <laughs> okay. Well, don't. I hope people don't take it the wrong way. It got to the point where I would rather be interviewing the mayor than the senator. Okay, yeah, that's just the way it was. I I just got so I don't know. I mean, not, nothing. A- hey, nothing against her. You know, look, look. She definitely um, was born. She came from Arkansas. I don't know where she was born, but. But uh, I guess she was born in Illinois or whatever, so, you know, nothing against her. It's just that after a while, it starts, you know, every interview started feeling the same. Well, I'm no fan of Hillary, so I'd have been over in 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, anyway, mean, let me get on with the main point here. Okay, I just had to double-check where she was born. I said Illinois. I was right. Edgewater Hospital, <laughs> Chicago, so I win a prize. I could care, I could care less. But anyway. Wait, let's look up where Bill Clinton was born. No. Yes. Who cares? <laughs> Hope, Arkansas. Ha! Well, then they changed the name. They added four letters to Hope. Now it's Hopeless. Ah! <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> See? See, now I'm trying to uh, cater to to the, uh, the the main WNBF dem- demographic there. With, with, uh-huh. with stuff like that, I could win people over. Yep. Now, this Janey. If she does lose tonight, and I think she will, she is going to be completely insignificant. I mean, she's not going to have anything left of her career. I mean, she'll still have this nonsense uh, um, insurrection inquiry going on, you know. So she's going to have that. But Well, they're going to have more hearings next month. You know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward but to those. After, after this nonsense is done, she's done for it. No, then she gets a job with MSNBC. Well, yeah, that could be too, but... Or, dare I say, she may even get a job for Fox, because sometimes Fox News, just to appear fair and balanced, will hire someone who's, you know, stirred things up in the past. I mean, she would be um, a conversation piece on Fox. I bet there'll be a, a bidding war for Liz Cheney among the the news channels. I bet CNN, MSNBC, and Fox will all make offers after she leaves Congress. Well. If Fox uh, hires her, they're going to bring their, their themselves down because it's like, 
Who wants to hire this knucklehead? No, how about this? How about, and then they announce it the first night that she's on, Tucker Carlson announces he's going to marry her. On live well, TV, on, on the Fox. They're going to have the wedding live think, live on the Fox. Fortunately, I think he's already married, but he would never touch that woman with a thousand-foot pole. <laughs> That's what she said. But anyway. Anyway, well, anyway. You, we, we, okay, well, no, it's, it's always possible. It's always possible. How about this? She gets married to Rudy Giuliani. And they could cover that on Fox News channels. It's 9.47. I would watch that. I would watch it. Liz Cheney gets married to America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. Covered live on Fox News Channel with live commentary from the judge, Janine. 9.48, Bob Joseph just imagining what could happen on WNBF. Your new career... WNBF saluting Elvis on this August 16th. Elvis. Elvis. The legendary Elvis. So I was just handed this uh, information from Kathy White. Brian Kilmeade, we all remember him. He says he he had aired in jest a doctored photo that appeared to depict the judge who approved the FBI search warrant of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. The fake photo showed the magistrate, Bruce Reinhardt, superimposed into a real photo of Jeffrey Epstein receiving a foot massage from his former girlfriend. The image of Bruce Reinhardt, the magistrate, it showed him holding a bottle of bourbon and a package of Malamar cookies. Wait, it's not Malamar cookies. It was Oreo cookies. Kilmeade, who was on the Fox News channel filling in for some guy, showed the picture at the end of the show. Kilmeade said, this is the judge in charge of the, of the um, as you know, of the warrant. We'll see if he's going to release it next. He likes Oreos and whiskey. Sean Hannity whose show was about to begin, appeared to correct Brian Kilmeade. Hannity said, I think it's actually a picture of Jeffrey Epstein with somebody putting his head on there. Kilmeade said it might be his plane. Who knows? In a tweet, Brian Kilmeade said the image was sourced on screen to a meme pulled from Twitter and wasn't real. The depiction never took place, and we wanted to make clear that we were showing a meme in jest. Brian Kilmeade. Come on, man. You don't do that when you're talking about federal magistrates. They deserve our respect. 954 WNBF, as I say, 
always respect the law. This is Bob Joseph on a Tuesday morning. WNBF remembering the real Elvis. Singing the burning love. What a song. What an artist. Oh, 45 years ago, we lost Elvis Aaron Presley. Died in Memphis. He was only 42. And I suppose, as uh, many people do, you look back on uh, dates of historical significance and you think, where was I when I heard the news? And I remember exactly where I was. I was vacationing on Cape Cod. On August 16th, 1977, when I heard the flash, apparently official, that uh, Elvis Presley had died. And certainly put a damper on the vacation. Never expected that to happen. More coming up. I'm Bob Joseph. It's 10 o'clock on WNBF. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. It's 69 degrees at 10.04. Forecast today, mostly cloudy, a chance of some pop-up scattered showers and thunderstorms and a high in the mid-80s. A 35-year-old Nineveh man is guilty on nine charges in connection with the shooting and wounding of a New York State trooper last year. Broome County jury began its deliberations Thursday, yesterday returning the guilty verdict against Jason Johnson. State Trooper Becky Seeger was shot in the hip on East Windsor Road in the town of Colesville last June. She and other law enforcement officers have been responding to a report about a suspicious person, a man reportedly drawing in the road. The authorities say Johnson fired on police with a high-powered hunting rifle. One round hit Trooper Seeger in the hip, while another officer was wounded by shrapnel. Johnson fled. He was apprehended along the Susquehanna River following a 20-hour manhunt. That was in the area of Route 79. Johnson could serve up to life in prison when he is sentenced. That's scheduled for November. Meanwhile, his father, David, was being tried in the dual trial for evidence tampering. The district attorney is planning to hold a news conference this morning to discuss the case. A Cortlandville man is facing a felony grand larceny charge while another remains at large following the theft of copper wire from a paving business on Route 11. Cortland County Sheriff's officials say 43-year-old Joshua Morris was arrested on August 11th. Authorities were called to suit coat crushed stone on Route 11. They had a report of two people stealing copper wire at the business and the caller telling the authorities the two men were running away through a field. Cortland County Sheriff's deputies and New York State Police were able to locate Morris. They placed him into custody, but the second man got away. He has not been identified and has not been located. Morris is charged with felony grand larceny, ordered to be held without bail in the Cortland County Jail. Authorities say prior to his arrest on Thursday, Morris had already 
had two unrelated arrests under his belt from earlier this year. The cases are still open. Meanwhile, anyone who has information about that suspect that's still at large is being asked to call the Cortland County Sheriff's Investigator Sergeant Timothy Jones at 607-758-5537. Associated Press is talking about a case where Starbucks is going to court trying to halt union activities at its stores. Not known what impact that might have on efforts to unionize locally in Broome County. Starbucks is asking the National Labor Relations Board to suspend union elections at the stores. The request came yesterday in response to a board employee's allegations that regional and national labor relations board officials had improperly coordinated with the union. In a letter sent to the board, Starbucks said an unnamed career NLRB official had told the company about that activity happening at the board's St. Louis office in the spring while it was overseeing an election at a Starbucks store in Overland Park, Kansas. The Labor Board says it does not comment on cases that are open. More than 220 U.S. Starbucks stores have voted to unionize since late last year. The company opposes unionization. In June, the NLRB asked a federal court in western New York to order Starbucks to stop interfering with unionization efforts at the stores in the United States. Also in June, more than a dozen people who work at a Vestal Starbucks shop signed a letter supporting a vote to be represented by a union. Alexandra Yeager, who coordinated that move, helped to successfully organize an Albany Starbucks before transferring to the shop on the Vestal Parkway. WMBF News Time, 10.08. Don't assume the speed limit that is any given city, town, village, or borough you're driving through in New York State is going to be 30 miles an hour in the future. Friday, Governor Kathy Hochul signed two new traffic safety laws, and that includes one that allows individual municipalities to lower their speed limit from the current 30 miles per hour to 25. The other measure would be to increase fines for leaving car crash scenes without reporting them. The governor says both the bills are designed to enhance street safety, prevent traffic deaths, and crack down on hit-and-run crashes. The Democrat says there was an 11% increase in fatal accidents in New York State from 2020 to 2021 between drivers, bicyclists, and pedestrians, and slowing drivers down might help to bring that number down. Many small municipalities in Pennsylvania have 25-mile-per-hour speed limits. For example, Little Meadows on Maple Avenue. But currently in New York State, the lowest speed limit a municipality can set is 30 miles an hour. It's not known how many municipalities might get on the bandwagon to lower their maximum speed. WMBF News Time 10.09. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast It's a hit and miss again today for whether or not you might get some rain in your yard. Mostly cloudy today, a 30% chance of scattered showers and thunderstorms mainly this afternoon. High in the mid-80s, mostly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid to upper 50s. Tomorrow, partly sunny again, a 30% chance of those hit and miss showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. High in the mid to upper 70s, Thursday, uh 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. Mostly sunny, a high in the low 80s. Friday, sunny, a high in the mid-80s. Saturday, mostly sunny, getting into the upper 80s. Currently 69 in Binghamton. The dew point creeping toward the humid range. We're right now in the upper 50s. 
It's 1011, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Tuesday morning live with Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF, twelve ninety AM, ninety two point one FM, and streaming at WNBF.com. the way Marconi wanted it to be. And we are here for you with uh, your live local talk program Monday through Friday from 9 to noon. Coming up, we're going to talk about broadband service in New York State and specifically in some of the rural areas. What steps are being taken to ensure that all New Yorkers have access to reliable and affordable broadband service? That's will be our topic as we start the hour and then if we talk a bit about broadband and some of the efforts that are going in to improve broadband service then we'll talk with you the home viewers you'll be able to call in talk about your broadband service or anything else anything else some restrictions may apply anyway we'll have uh, calls coming up shortly after our feature segment Looking at broadband in upstate New York. Bob Joseph with you Tuesday morning, live from News Radio WNBF. News Radio 1290, WNBF. WNBF and WNBF.com. Bob Joseph with you on a Tuesday morning, and we are joined by. Carolyn Price and Tina Covelli from um, the town of Windsor, both from the town of Windsor, correct? Yes. Yeah. By the way, nice, nice what you've done with the hills there. I see that uh, somebody has been put, building some things up on the, the hills in the town of Windsor and Sanford. Pretty cool. Yes, the wind turbines. <laughs> <laughs> first, the first time I saw when I went around that curve on Route 17, fortunately somebody had given me a heads up that the, the first um, – turbine turbine had been installed or else i probably would have driven off the road i knew they were coming i mean we had talked about the um the the project the wind farm project for windsor and sanford over the last few years but still the first time you see them it's striking yes and i think much taller than people expected (laughs) well especially uh the uh installations that are so close to the highway that's that's when you it's like Wow, I didn't think it was going to be that close, but it is, and and I know they're well on the way. We we talked with the uh, the folks involved in that project, and I know they hope to have that op- operational by the end of the year. So it's moving quite quickly. Yes, it is. Anyway, you're here today to talk about broadband service in New York State, and 
Really, it, it remains a, a huge challenge for many sections of upstate New York and many sections of the country, even in 2022, that broadband service is not something that is ubiquitous. I mean, some of us who live, say, in the triple cities take it for granted, but the fact is there are many, many people, millions of people in New York and other rural areas of the country that don't have appropriate broadband service. Yes, and we realize that, Bob, and I think the best way for people to understand it is to hear from somebody that's living it, and that's Tina. Tina moved here from California where she never had to think twice about it, and it's all changed. Yeah, yeah. living in California, I never had to worry about it. Um, It was affordable, it was reliable, it was high speed, and I chose to move me and my son here to Windsor, um, and we did not anticipate the the slow internet speed, the high cost, the unreliability of the satellite internet. It caused remote work challenges for me and remote school challenges for my son. So that's what we're dealing with today. How old is your son? He's uh, 16, oh and he gosh. goes to Windsor High School. I can't imagine being 16 years old in 2022 and not having access to high-speed broadband I, I mean it was fine for me when i was growing up 16 years old i never had a clue that this was going to be available but right now in 2022 that's that's a necessity for for students especially high school students i would think yeah yeah it's unfortunate um we moved to this area because it was more affordable and we just did not anticipate this type of problem in 2022 so and i know i'm not the only one experiencing the issue so hopefully we can work on this and get it resolved soon in the near future yes well and during COVID, i mean everything became exasperated uh whether it was someone like tina trying to work from home her son who was trying to do his schoolwork we had seniors who were trying to do telehealth and tina lives in really what's called a broadband desert it's and it will take over nine miles of fiber optic to connect those people. Wow! Yes, it, it's huge, and I know I sent you a PowerPoint program, and in there you can see in that southwest corner of the town of Windsor this huge yellow mass is where these people do not have reliable broadband. All they can access is satellite hotspots and their phones, but of course it's not reliable that's right so this is what we're trying to solve and on a plus i'll say for new york state they've always insisted on if money's granted wired broadband which is the best which you can probably get 40 50 years out where with satellite those satellites have to be replaced about every five or six years so we've done a lot of work bob i mentioned covid and during covid tina and other residents like her We were doing meetings by Zoom when they could get on Zoom or stay on Zoom with their poor connections. And we actually had people going door to door to find out what they have, what they didn't have. We did postings on Facebook, articles in local newspapers. And Tina was the one that took all that data and put it into Excel spreadsheets. So we're really ready for the grant process which you're probably aware that New York State's putting $1.4 billion out there. And central New York has a lot of need, as well as the North Country and Mohawk Valley. Those are the three 
key areas, and we're in one of these areas. So looking ahead under, say, a best-case scenario with the grants that are now available from the state, and once decisions are made, how soon could sections of the town of Windsor wind up having appropriate broadband coverage? Are, are you looking at still a matter of a few years, or could it happen sooner? Best guesses right now might be about two years. And besides that big broadband desert, there are several roads over in West Windsor that need the same service that we've identified. Broome County was really forward-thinking. The legislature approved a company to come in and map the county itself. And it's been very eye-opening, and the town of Windsor has the highest need. I'm estimating from the work I've seen that they've done and what we've done that over 10% of our residents do not have reliable broadband. So what this has meant, we are ready for the application process. And again, Broome County planning has been wonderful and been very helpful. And even being ready, more ready than a lot of areas, I still think it's going to be about two years well, Tina, Tina, that makes life difficult That's for you long. and your son. <laughs> I mean, sounds, sounds like your son will have graduated high school by the time broadband uh, arrives at your home. Yeah, he will have graduated. It's it's too long. The, the need is immediate. Um, I'm Like I said, I'm having challenges working from home. Um, I don't have enough bandwidth to do video conferencing with my teammates. Um, I have access to only one provider, and the upload and download speeds that they guarantee or that they cite are not what I'm getting. So it's, it's it's been pretty challenging all the way around. Well, it strikes me that if people look back in history, they're... There were times back in the 20th century when telephone service was not universal or even electricity was not mm-hmm. universal. There were rural areas of this country that did have to wait a long time before they got the conveniences of electric service or a convenience of having an actual landline back when they were the thing. But uh, here we are in the 21st century, and again, so many of us have our, our phones, and we take generally good access for granted. I mean, granted, I, I know what we have here in the Triple Cities isn't necessarily as good as some people have, say, in major metro markets, you know, New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago, but at least it's, it's very good in comparison with what you describe. Yes. And some of the information that the state has is not correct. And I wanted to mention, Bob, this website, and I hope your listeners will go to it no matter where they live and see what's on there. It's mapmybroadband.dps.ny.gov. And Tina and I yesterday went and put our addresses in, and both of us have a provider listed that's not available to us, okay? Our speeds are not correct, and I do at my house have uh, fiber, which is wonderful. And they're telling the state that I've got speeds of 1,000 download over 500 upload. And I actually, this morning at 6 o'clock, I had 57 megabytes download and 50 upload. So if 
our legislature is making decisions based on that information, they're not getting correct information. And I'm seeing numbers in state reports that 97 to 98% of the people in the state have reliable broadband. And we in the town of Windsor have over 10% of our population that doesn't. So you really question those numbers. And if it's coming off this database, you can go in there and put your correct information in. And I've done that twice, and it's still the same. <laughs> well, you know, maybe eventually it'll get properly updated. I, I see. I just uh, punched up my address, and I, I see the information for my neighborhood appears to be accurate. Although, who knows? I haven't looked at the actual speeds mm-hmm. lately, and that's one thing. I mean, you listen to uh, broadband commercials, I mean, whether it's radio, TV, or uh if they send you a solicitation in the mail, they, they have always have the fine print, and it's, you know, well, maybe maybe you get these upload speeds or maybe you get these download speeds. But, you know, you, you look at closely at the disclaimer, I always figure, well, maybe isn't really good enough for me anymore. If, if, if we had to rely on those disclaimers, say, for our regular phone service or for um, our NYSEG service, you know, for electric or gas service, you know, with those types of disclaimers that, well, this is what we strive to do, but you probably won't get it most of the time, I don't think people would think that's acceptable. But through this whole process, I think what has been good for the urban areas and like Binghamton is there does seem to be competition coming in, which is good. But here we are in the rural area just trying to get basic, reliable service with one provider. Well, and maybe, and again, I think having a segment like this on the program to help enlighten some people, say many of our listeners who live in Binghamton or Vestal or Endwell and are just, you take it for granted, as, as many of us do, to at least know there is an issue and that to encourage government officials to, to strive to move more quickly on this issue. I mean, we have to be realistic. It's not as though, I mean, upstate New York, as we travel so many counties, including some counties I haven't even been to, I mean, when you look at, at the ge- geography of upstate New York, you can understand that trying to get proper broadband service to everyone is going to still remain a big expensive challenge over the long haul but certainly i think you know uh additional efforts can be done and you know with with uh and and who knows there might be even some other emerging technology that will help to address the problem in the next few years that would be one of my hopes Well, one of the interesting developments is in satellite. Most of these satellites that people have right now are up very high. But in the LEO sphere, in the lower sphere, that's where Starlink is that Elon Musk developed. And there are some people in our broadband desert that have put it in, and they've been happy. But it's short-term. I mean, it's great for a short-term solution, But the long-term solution is fixed fiber that's going to be future-proof for 40 or 50 years. And I'm glad that at New York State level, they recognize this in the broadband office, and they're still pushing for that. But it's very expensive, Bob. I mean, that's, that's the big drawback, and these companies cannot do it without subsidy. It needs to be affordable. I mean, people not making high salaries need to be able to afford 
reliable broadband. Now, if people want more information about the issue, is there uh, a website? First, you mentioned the website that the state has for people to uh, actually enter their address and uh, observe whether the information the state has in its database is correct. You can repeat that website, if you would, for our listeners. Yes, I will. Um, The website is mapmybroadband, all one word, dot dps dot ny dot gov and also the broadband office in new york state is broadband dot ny dot gov and they have a lot of information on there as well you can access the mapping that way but also if people haven't looked into a subsidy to help them pay for their broadband no matter where they live you can access that there also so there is a lot of information Carolyn Price, Tina Covielli, thank you very much for being with us on WNBF. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. It's 1032 WNBF. If you want to talk about broadband or other issues, we encourage you to call in now, 607-772-1290, or send an email to bob at wnbf.com. News Radio WNBF, your Tuesday morning live with Bob Joseph. for you on the weekday mornings when it seems appropriate, which would be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Of course, if you've been paying close attention, the Friday program tends to be the very best. Just tends to be. Why is that? Uh, I'm not sure why Friday is always the best, but it just tends to, they say it tends to be. As far as uh, what else is going on, as we mentioned, downtown Binghamton, yeah, changes. If they take down a sign, I think I think that's a pretty good clue that the place isn't coming back. And we did contact the public relations firm in New York City that has been providing some information about the Court Street restaurants, the Colonial and Dos Rios Cantina, and... Although the restaurants did close in April, so they've been closed for nearly four months, uh, based on just a brief comment I received from the PR firm on Monday afternoon, apparently the uh, partners affiliated with the Colonial and Dos Rios uh, had another vote recently, and they decided to move on turned in their key. They won't attempt to reopen the restaurants on Court Street. Although the 
pizza place, the Stone Fox Pizza Place on Holly Street is still open. So, that much we know as far as what happens next with the business issues, legal issues involving partners. Yeah, it's uh it appears to be a very complicated situation. So as far as everybody involved, who knows? It's it's probably going to be a long time before everything is resolved with respect to both the criminal charges involving a couple of the partners and then also the other issues involving the businesses. As I mentioned earlier, it was interesting to me to cover the opening of the Dos Rios Cantina. In fact, even going back further, when the Colonial opened, I remember the first time I think I heard about this place called the Colonial. I think it was Mayor Richard David who brought it up. I think when Mayor David wrapped up a visit to the program, I believe he mentioned off the air about the work that was being done across the street at 56 Court Street. Actually, that place, 56 and 58 Court Street, they were two separate businesses prior to prior to the Colonial opening up. So they I recall they knocked down a wall so they had a big enough place to have a restaurant area and a bar area for the Colonial. And as I recall, Mayor David brought up about the work that they were doing and how that restaurant would open at some point in the future. And um, he said that he thought it was going to be a good place, or words to that effect. So I can't remember exactly what year that was. And then short time later, uh, we had the Dos Rios restaurant open up. I mean, as you probably know, Mayor David actually owned that building over at the corner of court and state. Remember back in the day when that was a dollar store? The dollar store had to leave because Yaron Queller bought the building from Mayor David. So Mayor David sold that building in early 2017. So he bought the place, I believe, for I believe about $600,000. And then he sold it. And then the dollar store had to go. I remember the first time I I heard, oh, no, the family dollar has to go. That's not going to be a good thing. Well, it turned out to actually be good for downtown. Nothing against the dollar store, but having a dollar store 
right at the heart of the business district, I don't think was such a great image. So that ultimately, I think, worked out for the best because you saw the transformation. I mean, they spent a lot of time and money turning the place into Dos Rios and then the barber shop, Dapper Rascal, and then the place that sells branded merchandise. So it looks better. And I think overall it was a better use of that property than the dollar store. Again, nothing against dollar stores. Everybody everybody loves dollar stores, but I don't know that you really need to have a dollar store in the heart of your business district. So now we've got two uh, storefronts, two former restaurants that are available. So I already have claimed the Dos Rios place for my place. That'll be Bob's Diner. I hope you like it. John from Binghamton, good morning. Bob, a few things on my mind, uh, just on the the dollar store there. You know, it's interesting that the, in spite of the leaky roof and leaking in the stores and buckets, the city code was never there. Isn't that, isn't that interesting that the city code never stopped by to, to look at the mayor's? Uh, it was interesting. Really. It's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, judge Hurd, federal judge, uh, retired last week and... Then a day later, he unretired after uh, Biden appointed, I think, a 38-year-old guy from Clifton Park. So that I, that's one of the most uh, interesting stories. And I think uh, Judge Hurd was flabbergasted, as was I, uh, that this Clifton Park guy was, was going to remain in Clifton Park and, I guess, commute uh, to Utica, and it was Judge Hurd's feeling that, you know, if you're going to have a federal courtroom, you should should have a, and go under local rules, you should have a, a local guy presiding. So that that was uh, interesting, but, and that guy would have been on the But here's the, the thing. So Judge Hurd is 85 years old. Right. Which is great. I mean, look, we, we've had presidents who are almost 85 years old. But the, the question is, is it really appropriate for Judge David Hurd to dictate where the the federal court operation is going to be, just because he happens to have a special place in his heart for Utica, why should it be up to one guy to dictate where the federal court operates? I mean, how, how can one person? I mean, he might be the greatest guy. I've never met him, and in fact, until I heard this story, the name. I don't recall ever having seen his name, so it's it's great. I'm sure he's done a lot of service over the years. Just seems weird that you know one guy can dictate to President Biden where the uh, Northern District court cases will be heard. Well, you, you'd be surprised. Every every uh, federal court has a handbook of written local rules, so. Uh, you know, you have to accommodate all your filings uh, to the local rules, which in a lot of cases are, are quite uh, Byzantine and, uh, uh, you know, for a, for a non-legal mind, uh, you know, uh, complicated. So they can they can do pretty much uh, what they want, as they as they used to tell me uh, in prison. Uh, a federal judge can set you free. Uh, the other thing that I had on my mind was yesterday, according to Spectrum News. Uh, 
there was a release on the uh, Dick's Open, the golf tournament, and uh, the, the, the crux of the story was another one of these. Uh, this event has an economic imp- impact, 16 point something million dollars. I've seen this before, and so have you. We've seen it with other events. We've seen well, in Binghamton University. It's about time for Binghamton University to trot out there. Um, you know, the economic impact we have on the community. It's like, I see stuff like that, and excuse me, John, I just roll my eyes. I've been in this business well, for so long. I see stuff like that, and I say, somebody actually took the time to put this out and and wants to pass that off as some sort of news? Well, here's the interesting point. Uh, there was another event once, and they had a PowerPoint, and Debbie Preston was the county executive, and I, I requested the information on, on what they were basing this on, and they just said they got it from the event promoter. Uh, but here's the thing. If you're going to refer to a study, uh, you need to know who commissioned the study. They commissioned the study, I guess, but you need to know who conducted it, and you need a copy of it. Otherwise, uh, you know, you're dealing in uh, hogwash. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned the university. It's interesting. I think it was in Alabama. The university uh, actually did conducted a study of the economic uh, uh, value of the of a college town, and they concluded that it was detrimental to everybody except those that were associated with the college. So you, you see, but, I mean, here's the point. When you talk about a ticketed event where locals buy tickets, and I we've, we've seen this, you know, uh, this four-day run of river dance, you know, just because the roadies and the crew uh, have a few meals and, and stay in a few rooms, uh, when you compare that to the amount that they've taken out, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's silliness. I mean, it's, 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 it, but this is what they do. And they, the reason that they do it is simply this. They're extracting venues uh, like the golf course, venues like the Forum, uh, for next to nothing, if not nothing. They're using the venues. Now, the venue should get between 6 and 8% of the gross. That's the way show business works, but they're not. And so these promoters of the event say, hey, hey, but look at, look at the economic impact. Well, I'll, you know, we've heard this. Now, I challenge people, uh, get out, look at, look at the hotel rooms and, and see See if if they're booked. See see this economic impact because it's absolutely impossible for uh, an event that takes in five million dollars to have a sixteen million dollar economic impact. And then you have to also analyze what would people be doing, where would they be spending their money if this event wasn't on. And then you have losers. So I mean, you know, why why Bob are people so damn dishonest? And, and put forth these stupid, silly things when they don't need to and when it's insulting to anybody uh, that has a little background uh, in finance. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Well, it makes us feel good. So I'm all about feeling good. So, you know, well, if, well but, you know, a lot to your point, though, when when they cite studies, I, I think. I think when they cite a study, I think they should provide me with a complete study as well as, as you say, the people who did the study and who commissioned the study. I want to read from from the first page to the back page with all, all the disclaimers and all the caveats 
because that's important. If, if you're going to draw a conclusion from a study, you need to know its limitations. Well, well you know, it's interesting. Remember the uh, theta race? Well, I filed, and you know, this is the same type of thing, the economic impact and people staying in hotel rooms. Well, the gig was up when I filed the FOIL request, and I found that the theta race was paying for the rooms that these people, these uh, uh, bicyclists, were not paying for their rooms, that the Theta Race was paying for their rooms. So there you go. There you go. Thank you, John. It's 1050 at WNBF, WNBF WNBF.com. We want you to feel good. Feel good with Bob Joseph. Everything is great. From News Radio, WNBF, we're living in the greatest times, in the greatest country, with the greatest radio station. Beverly from the town of Dickinson. Good morning. Good morning, Robert. Um, what's in uh, what's what's in where the old deli is was? Is there anything in there now? Not yet. No. And, uh, how's that restaurant across the street from the studio? You ever eaten in there? I have. They they appear to be doing well. I've talked with the owners, and apparently they're doing quite well. should be interesting in the next week or so because the students will be back in town. That means the students, oh, yeah. students will have a, a new place to go, especially since two of the places that they used to like with the uh, Dos Rios Cantina and the Colonial having closed. So now the new restaurant... Uh, located just a few steps away from those places, will will be open. So that that would probably help the new business. Yeah, so, so there's three businesses uh, that are closed on Court Street. Then. Well, there's more than three. I mean, CVS, everything is closed. Well, not everything. Yeah. Lots of stuff closed, but some things open. I mean, that's, that's part of... Um, that's part of life, though. Things, things. That's the sign of a living economy, a living, breathing economy. Things always are opening and closing. Some places expand. Some things get smaller. I mean, it all depends on a lot of circumstances. Sometimes people uh, shut down their business, not necessarily because it's not doing well. Sometimes they want to retire. Sometimes they want to go into a different line of work. But you know, it's it's complicated. Businesses. Our first, local businesses are very, very tough to run, and I, I like covering local businesses. When, new, when a new business opens up, uh, I, I enjoy uh, providing some information about those businesses. We just did one about a business that will be opening this week in Endwell, and it's nice because it shows dedication on the part of one or two people sometimes because it takes – a lot of money, and most of all, a lot of hard work to get a business off the ground. Right. Oh, yeah, it does. So, Is there a coffee shop still on Court Street? They used to be have a coffee shop that all had all different kinds of coffee. Well, here's the story about coffee shops on Court Street. One, one was a, a shop called Leveggio on Court Street, across from Security Mutual Building, and then they moved, their lease expired, and they moved from Court Street uh, a few blocks away on State Street, across from the Federal Building, the courthouse. And uh, so they're still open as a coffee shop, although they don't sell 
cups of coffee. They just sell, I think now they're doing just retail coffee, and I think they're filling all their orders uh, from people who order online. I don't think they're open now. Oh. Yeah, I think they changed their business model because of COVID. So, and they don't have a lot of yeah, lot of people working. And last I knew, it was mainly a husband and wife operation. Then Strange Brew opened up a grab and go shop where Leveggio had been on uh, on Court Street, and that was open for a few years. But uh, Strange Brew ultimately closed that grab and grow grab and go store. Um, it was a business decision. They wanted to focus more on their main store over on Washington Street. So right now, go to First City National Bank on on Court Oh, that. Well, Isaac Anzarut still owns it. The last I knew, Isaac Anzarut owns that building at ninety five Court Street, but it still is condemned according to the city, and he boarded the place up. A few months ago, he told me that people had been breaking into it, and he was concerned about the safety of the building. So now all the windows have been boarded up. I assume that he'll probably try to sell the property, or he has been trying to sell it. If you have, I think he wants $4 million for it. If you have $4 million, you could buy it. Oh, yeah. Plus the Masonic Temple. If you want to buy the Masonic Temple, I believe Isaac Anzaru is trying to sell that, too. Do you want to buy that over there at 66 Main Street? No. You don't? No. It's a nice building. What are they going to do with the Masonic Temple? Well, it's on hold right now. Isaac Anzarut started doing some renovations, and then that project stopped, so it's been on hold now, I think, for well over a year. So I don't know what's going to happen. It'll depend on if, if he can sell it to a new owner who has some money. You've been on a new roundabout? Oh, yes. It's, it's yeah, the, we have, too. I isn't like it great? That. It's the best roundabout ever. Yeah, we, uh, did you try that restaurant up here, that taste in New York? Haven't tried it yet. I'm going to uh, check it out soon. Appreciate your call. Hope you have a great day, Beverly. Okay, thanks. Uh, 1056 News Radio, WNBF, where the beat goes on. More calls coming up with Bob Joseph on a Tuesday morning. Research show. Joseph, it's 11 o'clock at WNBF, Bingham. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White. The National Weather Service calling for mostly cloudy skies for today. High temperature into the mid-80s. We might have a 30% chance of some scattered showers and thunderstorms. Depends on where you are for this afternoon. A 35-year-old Nineveh man is guilty on nine charges in connection with the shooting and wounding of a New York State trooper last year. A Broome County jury began deliberating last Thursday before returning the guilty verdict against Jason Johnson late yesterday afternoon. State Trooper Becky C was shot in the hip on East Windsor Road in the town of Colesville on June 9th of last year as she and other law enforcement officers responded to the report about a suspicious person. Authorities say Johnson fired on police with a high-powered hunting rifle with one round hitting Trooper Sager while another officer was wounded with shrapnel. 
Johnson fled the scene and was apprehended along the Susquehanna River off Route 79 following a 20-hour manhunt. Johnson faces a maximum sentence of life in prison. Judge Joseph Cauley has tentatively scheduled sentencing for November 28th. Johnson's father, David, was also being tried at the same time on evidence tampering charges in relation to the case. A Cortlandville man is facing a felony grand larceny charge, while another remains at large following the theft of copper wire from a business on Route 11. Cortland County Sheriff's officials say 43-year-old Joshua Morris was arrested last Thursday after authorities were called to suitcoat crushed stone for a report of two people stealing copper wire at the business. Authorities say the caller informed them that two men were running away through a field. Cortland County Sheriff's deputies, with the help of the New York State Police, were able able to find Morris and place him in custody. A second man fled the scene, has not been identified, and has not been located. Morris is charged with felony grand larceny. The authorities say he was ordered held without bail in Cortland County Jail. Authorities say prior to the Thursday arrest, Morris had two unrelated arrests earlier this year in cases that are still open. Meanwhile, anyone with information about that second suspect is asked to call the Cortland County Sheriff's Investigator, Sergeant Timothy Jones, at 607-758-5537. Starbucks is asking the National Labor Relations Board to suspend all union elections at its U.S. stores. The request came yesterday in response to a board employee's allegations that regional NLRB officials improperly coordinated with union organizers. In a letter sent to the board, Starbucks said an unnamed career NLRB official told the company about the activity, which happened in the board's St. Louis office in the spring while it was overseeing an election at a Starbucks store in Overland Park, Kansas. The labor board says it does not comment on open cases. More than 220 U.S. Starbucks stores have voted to unionize since last year, and of course the company opposes unionization. In June, the NLRB asked a federal court in western New York in the Buffalo area to order Starbucks to stop interfering with unionization efforts at its U.S. stores. Also in June, more than a dozen people who work at a Vestal Starbucks shop signed a letter supporting a vote to be represented by a union. Alexandra Yeager, who coordinated the move, helped to successfully organize an Albany Starbucks before transferring to the shop on the Vestal Parkway. Well, don't assume the speed limit in any given city, town, village, or borough you're driving through in New York State will be the standard 30-mile-an-hour speed limit in the future. Friday, Governor Kathy Hochul signed two new traffic safety laws, including one that allows individual municipalities to reduce their speed limits to 25 miles per hour from 30. The other would be to increase fines for leaving car crash scenes without reporting them. The governor says the measures are designed to enhance street safety, prevent traffic deaths, and crack down on hit-and-run crashes. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast for today, mostly cloudy, about a 30% chance of mainly afternoon scattered showers and thunderstorms, a high in the mid-80s, mostly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid to upper 50s. Tomorrow, We'll have partly sunny skies, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms, again, mainly in the afternoon hours during the heating of the day, and a high in the mid to upper 70s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290. 
Bob Joseph with you. It's the third hour of the broadcast on a Tuesday morning from News Radio WNBF, WNBF.com. Hey, why not call? See what I have to say about your topic. Anyway, we'll see how the uh, results turn out. Uh, gee, will Sarah Palin win? Sarah Palin. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I, I heard something, a report from Alaska, that suggests among people who live in Alaska, they really don't like her. I mean, they really don't like her, which, when you think about it, it's kind of like, say, in New York State, when Andrew Cuomo sometimes was being rumored as a potential presidential candidate. You know, some people outside New York would talk up the possibility of Cuomo running for president, or even before that, years before, Pataki running for president. And usually, usually the people who would talk the loudest about the New York politician being presidential material they almost always were people from outside the state because that's what happens you don't know them it'd be sort of similar to me commenting oh even about nancy pelosi yeah i think i know something about nancy pelosi because after all she loves delicious ice cream but what do i really know about her because i don't live in california so, you know, getting back to the point, Alaskans, will they elect Sarah Palin today to Congress? I don't think so, but I don't know. I, have, I haven't really followed the race that closely. I know that she is pleased to have been endorsed by Donald Trump, so I guess that would help to a degree, maybe, especially in Alaska. So I I sort of hope that Sarah Palin gets elected because, of course, this is a primary, right? This Apparently, in the original primary in Alaska, there were 50 candidates. So that helps to explain, perhaps, why Sarah Palin wound up getting to this round. There were so many candidates. I think the reason that she wound up getting to this round in the primary is because people knew her name compared to the four dozen other candidates. This is interesting. I'm just punching up a story from CBC. No, not ABC. CBC. Um, and apparently, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the story about the Sarah Palin race. Alaska voters get their first shot at using ranked voting in a statewide race in this special House election in which Sarah Palin seeks a return to elected office. So, oh, this is interesting. It could take until August 31st to know whether Palin or one of her opponents prevailed in the special election. So, I guess 
for those of us who want instant gratification when the polls close tonight, I guess I guess we're going to be out of luck because it could take a while before the results are certified. Of course, probably if the results are certified and Sarah Palin is not the winner, she'll probably say it was rigged. So, interestingly, Sarah Palin's former in-laws last night hosted an election eve party for one of her opponents, for Nick Begich. So they, they held a fundraising event for her opponent, Nick Begich. So we'll see what happens in Alaska. Again, sadly, by this time tomorrow, we probably won't know whether Sarah Palin prevailed or whether Nick Begich was the winner. As we also have talked about in Wyoming, it appears at this stage that Liz Cheney is not going to win. But who knows? She might. She could win. But the fact is, I don't think she wants to win. I know we heard from a caller who suggested that she really wants to win. I, I think she'd be. I think she's realistic as as someone who's very familiar with Wyoming politics. Even though, when Donald Trump was president, she voted with Trump almost all the time, but simply because she doesn't go along with the big lie. So she won't go along with the big lie, and that's why she probably is going to wind up losing today. But she's clever. I definitely think that Liz Cheney expects to be considered either as a presidential or vice presidential candidate in 2024. And it would be viable. Now, would she be a good running mate for Ron DeSantis? No. No, because Ron DeSantis supports the big lie. So, obviously, if Ron DeSantis becomes the Republican nominee in 2024, Liz Cheney can't be his running mate. They would be incompatible. One believes in the big truth, and the other believes in the big lie. So it wouldn't work. But if, by chance, Republicans wind up nominating two candidates in 2024 who support the big truth, then I could see that one of the candidates on the ticket would be Liz Cheney. I think she could be a viable presidential candidate, but there probably would be... uh, And there's room in the Republican Party, I think, for candidates that would embrace the big truth. And actually try to resurrect the GOP, the grand old party, the GOP of our fathers and our grandfathers. Yes, maybe it was viewed as a conservative party, but it wasn't viewed as a party that was going to constantly attack 
everything we hold dear, constantly attacking the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Food and Drug Administration and so many things, it, part, part of our civilization, part of the way we operate in the United States is general trust and faith in the government. And over the last five years or so, one party has worked to tear down all the trust and faith that most Americans had managed to have over more than two centuries in our government. It's 1118. What say you? I'll open up the phone lines, 607-772-1290. And we'll also accept some emails, bob at wnbf.com. This is Bob Joseph on a Tuesday morning from News Radio WNBF, 1290 AM, 92.1 FM, and always available on the free WNBF app. For 50. Live and local with Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF. Let's go to the phones. Aaron in Appalachian. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, Bob. How you doing today? I'd just like to say that I would like to beg to differ with your five-year estimation of the trust for the distrust, excuse me, for the government. Um, it, it's pretty much been since, you know, the turn of the century from 1999 and the uh, what, what was it they were afraid the computers couldn't pass count past the uh, nineteen hundred and ninety nine? The Y two K. The Y two K. The Y two K. Yeah, the the Y two K. So I mean that was that was kind of the beginning of hmm, what what the heck's going on here? Before it even happened, I was like, what do you mean? You're telling me computers can't count? But that's beside the point. Uh, during Obama's term, he made it illegal to walk around and freely breathe without being fined because you're not carrying some sort of modern-day pharmaceutical uh, medicine insurance, whatever it is, health care bill they tried to pass. We had to pass it to find out what was in it. Remember all that? That, that began a lot of distrust toward the government, no? What say you about Uh It didn't. It didn't. It, it, well, it, did, it didn't. It didn't uh, affect my trust in the government. I will say this: just since since I was born, I've never been pleased with the government telling me what to do about anything. I'm not pleased that they they stipulate that I, I'm supposed to be driving 30 miles an hour on Riverside Drive. Come on, man! That road is that road is is capable of handling people going 48 or 50 miles an hour. I mean. I I don't That's like not being. What we're talking. About. I know. It's I know. Totally different. Yeah, but but as far as trust in government, I still, and I know I'm in the minority, probably of the listeners here, but I still have a general 
trust in government. Not overall, every every level and every agency. I still have tend to have a general trust in most of government. I, I and I can't say that I do, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to point sides either. I don't want to point out Obama, right. Democrat, because during uh, George Bush's term in the Patriot Act. That began a whole nother distrust, and it's like, what's going on here, you know? And only they were able to analyze 9-11, and they appointed their own supposed independent uh, group of people to look into it and come out with some papers, you know? And you're not allowed to question this stuff. That's where a lot of distrust begins, is if you can't question stuff. And a lot of these days, it's silencing people that are just questioning things. And we're not allowed to question. That's American. And so this is pretty un-American of the government to not be allowed the citizens to just question what's going on. Well, you know, you, you know if you listen to this. Oh, we were wrong. Right. Sorry. Aaron, you, you know I question the government all the time. And, and what frustrates me is how, how much of just simple day-to-day routine questioning is is met with silence or i mean right. some of the most basic things that i expect to be able to obtain from government as a reporter they're not available and what they often say sometimes with a degree of snark well you could always foil it and that's that's not these people that i deal Didn't with have to do that yeah right. yeah you know it's like well you could always foil it i don't have the time and in some cases the money to foil stuff. I want I want to cover news now. The questions I ask today are relevant right now. If I foil something, I might get a reply in days, weeks, or months, and by then the story may be totally irrelevant. And they're using uh, a law that was ostensibly uh, passed to give journalists and, and everyday citizens more access to the government. They're using that as an excuse not to provide routine information that we used to get. So on on one hand, you know, what I encounter on a daily basis with too many entities, too many government officials at all levels, is uh, this, and and I also appreciate the people that I'm usually interacting with didn't come up with the policy, so I try to I try. I I mean, seriously, as they say, they're just doing their job. It's like, say, if a policy is developed here at the radio station, and I might not like the policy, but I don't run the station. I don't own it. So if they put a policy in place, I'm supposed to follow the policy and not not complain about it. And and the same uh, is the case with the government officials. I mean, so I'm trying to, you know, not get frustrated with the individual I'm dealing with because usually he or she has no say in whether the information can be released. They're just, as they say, doing what they're told. Pulling the lever at yeah. the chamber. Yeah. You know, that you start to slide into, well, now you're just the guy that was the general that was doing what the captain told him to do and you're pulling the gas lever and hey, I'm just doing what i'm being told you got to stand up somewhere yeah but the question on you yeah but the bottom <laughs> the bottom line is for whether people are working for uh in private the private sector or for government how often 
can you actually say, okay, I'm going to draw the line. This is too important to be kept secret, and then you're out of a job. I mean, most of us don't have the luxury of saying, well, I'm going to take a principled stand because this is so important for the public that I'm willing to sacrifice my livelihood. You know, that it's fine that I don't have a job and my family has no food, and then I can go out and ultimately have to get government assistance because I'm out of work. And let's face it, once you get on your permanent record that you're willing to uh, ignore or circumvent a certain rule because you thought, because you took a principled stand, in, in the eyes of some employers, that makes you unemployable. Right. You I know. think that's a topic for another day. <laughs> it is. Corporations sure. that are passing down penalties and firing their employees for civil actions, that's a whole other story. You know, CNN firing that commentator for standing up for his daughter who was being sexually harassed on Twitter, so on and so forth. We failed all these litmus tests Yeah, as far as I'm concerned. But that, like I said, that's uh, that's a whole other topic. I can even say... What, during Trump's term, one of the most upsetting things that he did was he allowed us to label American citizens unessential and essential when we all know we are all essential. And so there's distaste there, too. So I'm across the board independent. I'm registered that way. I vote every time since I was 18. I'm 45. And uh, first time caller, long time listener. I appreciate you, Bob. I do miss talk with Tony and I hope he's doing well. Well, sadly, in the interest of uh, disclosure, sadly, Tony has died. Oh, no. Yeah, it wasn't recent, but he, unfortunately, okay. is no longer with us. And, I knew uh, he had health problems yeah, at one point. Yeah, okay. and, and, that, you know, and that, that's the reason some people still speculate that Tony left WNBF because he offended somebody too, you know, one time too often or whatever. And, of course, <laughs> no. The, and, and no, the station always stood by Tony, even if sometimes people got, uh, you know, I mean, look, Tony had uh, a, a very specific worldview, and he, because of that, he had a very, very uh, loyal following here on the radio station, and the station supported him, and we all did, too, even if... Even if we disagreed with Tony, we loved yeah. that he was irascible and he spoke what was on his mind. So, uh, thank you first. Thank you for the kind words uh, about what I do, and also thank you for taking the opportunity to call for the first time. I, I hope you'll call again at some point. Did, when Bob, I probably yeah, will. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and again, you know, I strive to be. <sighs> open to most people most of the time now having said that since you listen on a regular basis you know that i'm not perfect and and certainly when when sometimes you know sometimes i'll i'll overstep or whatever i mean it's not it's not uh there's no meanness intended I, i'm you know i'm trying to conduct a, a live show in the best way i know how so it's eh, you know so it's, it's always a work I in progress of sincerity and I appreciate moments like this. So thank you very much, Bob. Thank you, Aaron. It's 1130 WNBF. We're here for you. I am not automated. I am not voice tracked. I, I don't have an agenda. I know some people think I've, I've been put in here with an agenda and put in here to make some people uncomfortable. No. No. 
just here to conduct what I hope is a good local talk program because Binghamton needs this. Binghamton needs this. Embrace it. Support it. Even when you may disagree with the host. In fact, especially when you disagree with the host, call in and but be prepared to have a dialogue. A dialogue. My opinion on anything is not the correct opinion. It's one opinion on a planet that has nearly 8 billion opinions on any given topic. 607-772-1290. It's Tuesday morning. News Radio WNBF. Hi, folks. Eleven thirty four WNBM. Why can't you see what you doing to me? When you don't believe what I say, we can go on together with suspicious minds, and we can build our dreams on suspicious minds. Just take the fifth if you're suspicious. All right, let's uh, hit more of the hotlines here. Martin from Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Morning. Uh, thank you. That was a great segue about suspicious minds. I want to talk, uh, get into that about uh, um, mind control. Um, but what I talked about was that I, I was at the uh, Sterling Fest and during a break there, I was talking with Nick Parisi, and uh, I told him that I listened, heard you uh, when he was on your show years ago, and was telling him about that what happened, that your show got down downgraded, and then it returned, and we're so happy that it came back. As it's like you were just saying, how relevant it is, especially in these times. And um, while we while we were standing, we were talking, we were standing right next to a plaque that said that. Um, what a de- Democrat or Republican can't say, a Martian could say. And that he, as a vet, um, he would be livid today about uh, the uh, degradation of McCain and other vets who fought and acquired PTSD and that he called weak. And because um, Sterling knew the intensity of war and fighting and, and how it affected him. And um, we were talking about this episode that he would, if he was alive, he might revise that great episode called um, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Great Life, where little Billy Mummy, who um, could read minds, and if you didn't agree with him, he would put you out into the cornfield or turn you into some kind of grotesque object. And um, so they were always going along with him. Oh, yes, that's great. Oh, yes, that's great. It'd be like, uh, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, Mr. President. Let's inject Clorox 
into maybe getting uh, getting rid of the COVID. And so it's um, he's taking control of them, like he just wrote about the suspicious. I mean, he just played suspicious minds. I mean, that goes along with him. Everybody's baffled by by the silence of these people, of these Republicans that know better. They certainly know better, but this guy has control over them, and it's. It's disgusting. Well, I think that's the tragedy. You know, I I remember it wasn't that long ago where the Republican Party stood for some clear values. There was a clear distinction between the leaders of the Republican Party in New York and across the United States. It was very clear what they stood for and uh, so much of what was the traditional Republican Party, in my opinion, has been destroyed by one man over a period of six years. Yes, and we we need two healthy parties um, for the balance of justice. And about Cheney running, I mean, she's, she's got a blasé attitude about it, I think. I think she cares, but she cares much more about the justice and the truth, and that I think she's got her sights set on 2024. I think that if she's going to pull back and hopefully realign the Republicans and make them a sensible party again. Yeah, her slogan could be make the Republican Party great again or make the GOP great again. And the thing about Liz Cheney, even if she doesn't prevail in 2024, and she may not because it may take... You know, even at the sewage treatment plant, you know, when they get a, a giant load in to the sewage treatment plant, it can't be treated all at once. It takes time to work through the system and, and actually get the treatment plant up to pace. I mean, some, sadly, some of the stuff that gets in the sewage treatment plant uh, cannot be accommodated because of just the, the sheer volume. So some of it has to be dumped into the Susquehanna only partially or not even barely partially treated. And that might be the case with the Republican Party for the next two or three years. It may take a fair amount of time to run all the sludge that has clogged up the grand old party over the last five or six years, run it through a treatment plant. Some of it inevitably will get spilled along the way, and some people will be contaminated. But who knows, by 2028, you know, Liz Cheney in twenty. 28, I believe, is only going to be 62 years old. She has many, many years ahead of her in terms of potential presidential politics. And the way things are going, I would say, if they bet on these things, I would say Liz Cheney has about as good a chance as any other woman of becoming president right now in this country, looking ahead, say, the next 10, 12 14 years. I, I really think that that she, if she continues to play her cards right, she could wind up getting support from many moderate Republicans and common sense Republicans, and also many moderate Democrats and also many independents. Yes, depending on who the Democratic nominee would be. I mean, I, I like her values and what she stands for, and um, I think it would be a good thing. And also the Republicans would be able to claim that they're the party that got the first woman uh, president also. But I, I think, but like you said, though, uh, they, there's a hell of a lot of sludge that's uh, behind this guy. And it's going to take quite a while, and it's just like, it's just... Uh, 
fogging up their minds and stuff. But anyway, yeah, but it was, you know, uh, get some high pressure hoses. You know, gear the system up, fix the the treatment plant so it can handle a huge quantity, and then clean the place up. Even if it takes three, four, five years, make it pristine. Turn it into the GNP, the Grand New Party. What would what what would be wrong with the Republican Party reinventing itself and getting rid of the bad taste that some people have from Donald Trump and say we are now the GNP, the Grand New Party. We're still Republicans, but we're Republicans 2.0. Come join us. That's a good point. I mean, we can't go on like this as a country. This is just it's just uh, bizarre. We're not we're not going to be able to go, go anywhere. Um, Lord knows. But anyway, it was a great festival. And um, like in today's paper here, they're going to be erecting a statue um, for him. And I walk my dog over there quite a bit. And it's like when I was living in California in the late 70s and stuff and being um, interviewed, not interviews, but in discussions with people, as mentioned New York State, and, and they kind of blow it away a little bit about the Finger Lakes and the Adirondacks. But they're all interested in growing up where Sterling grew up here in our town. It was like, was, what's, is there some kind of mystique or what's, what's in the water? Or, or I say, I say change, change the name. Change the name of Riverside Drive to Sterling Boulevard. Great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Celebrate. Embrace one of Binghamton's greatest people. Appreciate the call. More calls coming up at 607-772-1290. I'm Bob Joseph. It's Tuesday morning. You're listening to WNBF. As the snow flies On a cold and gray Chicago morning A poor little baby child is born in the ghetto And his mama cried WNBF on your Tuesday morning Cause if there's one thing she don't need Is another hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto Thanks for the phones we go. It's Carol in Johnson City. Good morning. Well, now that's the Elvis voice that I want to hear. Not you blasphemed with that other suspicion song. That wasn't Elvis. No, it wasn't supposed to be. As well, we just got a note. Might... We got a note from Florida. This is. I'm reading it right now. It came over the um, the ticker from Florida, from the Gulf Coast to Florida. Best cover of Suspicious Minds ever. Best. So, and uh, our listener commended me on my guitar work. Said my guitar work is phenomenal. So, are you are you allowed to say it, or do you have to? Uh, is there like payola involved? That's a dirty word, payola. Sorry. Well, we don't engage in that. What do you mean? Say what? Well, well. So, who was the singer? If if it was so greater than Elvis's? Fyc. What does that mean? Fyc. I can't say it on the air. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You can't say it because okay. It be, well, that, that's that's what I'm saying. Do you want me to that's say why it? I, said, I used the dirty word payola. Sorry. No, there's no payola. Do you want me to say what it stands for? FYC. None of my business, probably. No. Fine young cannibals. Thank you. Yes. 
Fine Young Cannibals recorded that song? They did, yeah. And I, I think it's, now, trust me, I like the original best. I like the suspicious minds that Elvis did the best. But every once in a while, I like to hear FYC, Fine Young can- Cannibals, do their take on it. And nobody... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Nobody says yeah. that it's better. No, it's just different. And, and I think it's quite good. But again, you, you're absolutely right. Elvis nailed it. Yeah. Oh, you, you, your voice cut out. You weren't there for a second or two. That's no, because of that explosion over at the Verizon building. No, that was, uh, yeah, I, the first I heard about it was when uh, you all were talking about it that day. Because WNBF is where news breaks first. I heard, uh, what's her, I don't want to say what's her face, because that's a very disrespectful uh, thing to say. Um, uh, Karen Sweet O'Neill, she, she mentioned that. And I'm so glad that she said that, because it's absolutely true. What yes. She said about the local news. I wanted to buy the paper this morning because of the um, the, the 2016 uh, Little League. You know, uh, what was the fellow's, the kid's name? Dugan? Duggan? D-U-G-G-A-N? Is that who it was that they featured this morning in the paper? Oh, in today's paper? Yes. Until I saw the price. I didn't realize. I knew it went up. But when I saw that the, t- that the Today paper, the daily paper, aside from Sunday, is three fifty, I almost fell over. Well... You know, they're entitled. I guess so. I do have a question. Wait, uh, but bringing up the price, you mentioned the price. So this is this is in Gannett world. This is this shows you what passes for Gannett sense. And again, keep in mind, this has nothing to do with any local people at the present Sun Bulletin. It has everything to do with the greedy. I was going to say a word. The greedy people who run the Gannett. A news conglomerate. I think they're based in Virginia. This is what they think is value in journalism. So they they put a cover price of three fifty on our Press and Sun Bulletin, which today consists of twenty pages, versus the New York Times, which is a global news outfit, which has who knows how many pages today. I think forty four pages in the New York Times. And that's $3. So $3 for the New York Times with 44 pages of almost all original reporting and relevant versus the press. Now, granted, there is the feature, as you mentioned, about Billy Dundon. That's who you're talking to. Billy Dundon will attend St. Bonaventure to study physical education. So he's in the spotlight today for the Press and Sun Bulletin. So a lot of Billy's family and friends... And acquaintances will buy copies of the Press and Sun Bulletin today at three fifty a clip. Uh, I, I almost bought it, but I didn't really have time to glance to see if it talked about the other kids who played on the team because I, I went to the 2017 uh, the AJQ Quagliata Sports Banquet where right. they were they were inducted into the, uh, the Sports Hall of Fame in the 2017 dinner and. Uh, I've, I've been hooked ever since. I've been going to every single dinner that they've had yeah, since that's, then. Yeah, that's a great thing. Those, those boys were, when I saw them on uh, television, they were so professional, uh, you know, because, like, I've been watching baseball since the 40s, and th- their movements, everything about it was just spot on. <laughs> yeah, they're a good group of people, and I... I was glad that they won in 2016. I'm glad Kevin Stevens spent a lot of time 
putting together this series. And by the way, I think actually today, I think you should have paid the three fifty to get a copy of this. To, I still could. <laughs> yeah, you still could. I mean, the bottom line is when it comes to the newspaper, all I want is for the Press and Sun Bulletin to succeed. I want the Press and Sun Bulletin to go on for another century because I'm a big fan. All I want is the people who control it, which are people from out of town at Gannett Corporate, to start investing some money to bring in more reporters, more sports coverage, a photojournalist or two, not, not someone who is shared among three or more Gannett papers. You know, let's let's show some faith in our newspaper. That's I what G- Gannett should do. You know, they Gannett just laid off more people last Friday, and it, it, which begs the question: They're already lower than bare bone. How can they lay off even more people? So, who uh, the the local? I can't think of their names. They were two two fellows that I used to talk to occasionally. They would appear at the Johnson City Village board meetings. I cannot think of their names because I haven't heard their names or seen them around for so so many well not so many years but several years. Uh, do you know who I mean? They used to call in and you'd speak with them, talk with them. Well, I can't remember. I mean, was it Jeff Platsky? No, not not the business guy. That that's business. Anthony Borelli. That's yeah. Yeah. Well, that's he one of them. He wound up leaving journalism. Not because he dislikes journalism, he had to make a, a tough choice. I mean, the problem is, if you're raising a family, you have to decide what's the best choice for your family. And so he ultimately left journalism, but his heart still is in journalism. Well, I know back in 2009, when they were uh, trysting about with the uh, dissolution of Johnson City, uh, those those reporters were at the village board meetings quite frequently, and, uh, you know, we got to know each other on a first-name basis for a while there. Yeah, we need that again. We desperately need that kind of local coverage. And I hope to see it restored soon. That's what I want for my newspaper, my Press and Sun Bulletin, my Gannett newspaper. I pay a lot of money for it every month. Give me local journalism. That's what I seek. Vinny from Binghamton, good morning. Yes, good morning. Bob, you know, I was going to call and talk about um, um, trust in government, but I wanted to switch really quick because uh, I, I wanted to kind of talk about what Carol was talking about because I do have this um, sports page here with uh, Billy Dunnan. I think it's a great article by uh, Kevin Stevens. Um, he's talked with my daughter years ago a couple times um, because she she played Division One basketball went on, played overseas, and I think this is a great article because it, it kind of gets you to understand how unique that whole year was. Because being a coach of myself, but not at this level, you've got to have three powerful things involved. You've got to have coaches, players, and parents. They all got to be on the same wave because you know you see that discipline that these kids showed. Parents had a lot to do with that because a lot of kids did not get enough playing time, but they knew what the team was about. They knew what the mission was, and they, they, you got to have fun because a lot of times, and anybody will tell you, any coach that's listening or any coach, a lot of times the parents can spoil it. 
they can ruin it. And these people that are on that team, these parents were in check. And you got to give a lot of praise to the parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. Praise the parents, the coaches, and certainly the team members. Appreciate your call. 1155, Bob Joseph on WNBF. Mission accomplished, as we expected. I'm Bob Joseph. Don't worry, I will return tomorrow morning right here on News Radio, WNBF Binghamton, 1290 AM, 92.1 FM, and streaming on WNBF.com.